1: Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions, and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixed Club page or listen live at Sohoradiolondon.com. Good
2: afternoon and welcome to the Dock and Roll Takeover here on Soho Radio Culture. We're very glad to have you with us. My name is Shane Harity. and um, I'm joined with by Colin Ford, the head honcho of Dock and Roll, in the studio. We've got a jam-packed show for you today. I'm going to be speaking with Catherine Hart, the director of the documentary Faith Ibranco, uh, an unconventional love story set to a soundtrack of Roma Gypsy music. Uh, she's going to be telling us about what that was like and uh, living in that community and joining these uh, amazing artists. Um, we, you were just listening to Prince and 17 Days, a stripped-down version from the Piano and Microphone album. Uh, we'll be talking more about Prince later because we're screening one of his uh, f- f- documentary about him later on today. And uh, Next up, we have St. Vincent and New York, which features in the Nowhere In a St. Vincent documentary, which is part of this year's festival schedule.
0: New York is in New York without you, love. So far in a few blocks to be so low And if I call you from First Avenue We're the only motherfucker in the city
2: That was New York from Saint Vincent, uh, and which features on the soundtrack of *The Nowhere In*, uh, which is uh, one of the kind of highlights of this year's Talking Roll Film, uh, Film Festival.
0: Colin, tell us about *The Nowhere Inn. How's it going, Shane? Um, we uh, yeah, we just launched the festival, our eighth edition, last Thursday, twenty eighth of October. And then on the Friday in the Barbican on the 30th, we had the UK premiere of the Nowhere Inn. We're delighted to have that as part of our uh, festival in London. We're also screening it across 11 different cities. And uh, I'll just give a shout out as to where it is at the moment. We're having an encore screening today in the Rio and Dalston at 4 p.m. So if you're quick, you can dash down to that. There's still a few tickets left for that. Um, and then a screening uh, on the 9th in Cardiff in Chapter and then Liverpool on the 9th as well in Fact Picture House and our final screening in the UK for that as part of the festival is in Birmingham, Mac Arts on the 12th of November so all those tickets are available at com. and yeah, no, we're absolutely delighted to have this film as part of the programme it's also one of the six uh, films that's been shortlisted for the best our Best Doc Award that we have a jury panel judging on uh, the announcement to that is going to be next uh, Sunday for the winner for that but yeah obviously it's a real it's a real it's a big hitter to say the least and we were hoping to have Annie in the house in the Barbican last Friday but due to Covid restrictions and all that jazz she couldn't make it over from Texas but we did have her live in uh, in the Barbican uh, zoomed in and uh, Miranda Sawyer hosted that QA and it was it was the business
2: yeah she she came across really well she's such a, an interesting artist um, the film itself is, is, is interesting it, it's not your typical rock and roll kind of uh, music documentary. It's kind no. of quite meta, postmodern sort of take on it, and uh, you know, it kind of riffs on the fact that you know so many of these artists come come to life on stage, and but you know, backstage are just not not as interesting. You know, they want they want to play Scrabble and Nintendo, and uh, yeah, you know, and it's, Chill out. Uh, it's not all dance parties and stuff. So the film kind of riffs and introduces to dramatise the um, St Vincent's life they introduced lots of kind of um, elements including uh, uh, Dakota Dakota Fanning in her lingerie and various other things to to, to spice up
0: the film yeah it, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, I'd say it's not a documentary at all. It's a, dra- a dramatization of the making of a do- documentary. So to some extent, it's like a, an updated female orientated spinal top for these days. Like, it's, it's it's I find it quite hilarious, you know. For some people, maybe it's a little bit too meta, but um, I think, you know, it's the case of Annie at St. Vincent. She, you know, she's completely taken the piss out of fame and uh, her own role in it and her own position within it, Like and like, you know. That's what I love about her as a character. Like, not only she's an incredible artist, I uh, saw her about three or four years ago in uh, Brixton Academy, and she just, she was on stage on her own, and she carried the whole 5,000 people with her all the way for two nights in a row, yeah. it was just phenomenal. Yeah, she is a phenomenal artist.: uh, What a guitarist as well. But, I mean, just to have that, that type of artistry and also be able to just completely, you know, mock yourself and take the piece of the whole thing is fantastic. Yeah. so uh, it's also that's an interesting one it's got Carrie Brownstein in it as well who's supposed to be making the film that's uh, her, yeah, her so character she, within it it's, the, it's supposed to be the, the, the director the, of the director him. of it but uh, she's uh, in real life one of uh, Annie's best mates and and uh, Carrie of Portland, Portlandia and of course uh, Sleater-Kinney as well they're a great riot, but riot girl band um, she knows all about that jazz as well and the whole fame and, and the music industry and the bullshit around it you know excuse yeah. me um, but it's Priced a kind pissed. of a it's a piss <laughs> take about all of that like you know and uh, you know it essentially Carrie being the director within this fictional film, trying to get Annie to add some real spice to her character off stage, or to her persona off stage, or her real life off stage, and it's uh, it's uh, it just kind of falls flat to a certain extent because yeah. you know yeah it's all about her just wanting to chill now and her having her Saint Vincent persona on stage, and that's it end of story. Uh, so it's quite a it's quite a yeah it's quite a funny different kind of film. You know? Okay. Okay, so next up we have Matthew Herbert,
2: who as um, a Symphony of Noise is one of his documentaries, and we're playing uh, his remix of Serge Gainsbourg's "Bonnie and Clyde." <laughs> Okay, that was Bonnie and Clyde from Matthew Herbert. And Colin. you have some uh, some information about when he's playing. On the
0: yeah, so this is another film we've been touring around through our uh, regional branches. Uh, we had we were delighted to have Matthew in the house a few nights ago in the Barbican for the UK premiere of this. And great Q&A, but we're, we've been screening it in Manchester and Nottingham and... Newcastle and a few other cities, but there's uh, three dates left on the tour coming up. That's in Exeter today at 3 o'clock in the Phoenix. Uh, It's screening in Cardiff Chapter on the 8th of November tomorrow at 8.30. And then finally in Edinburgh in a cameo on the 11th of November at 6 o'clock. And again, all those tickets are available at com. It's a really interesting uh, film about the concept of listening to music and when noise becomes music becomes music and the whole idea of not allowing yourself just to have music in the background as wallpaper and just actually it's very political film based around uh, you know awakening the minds to uh, every aspect of where music can come from in all different types of sampling scenarios because he's 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 kind of infamous for making a, uh, a documentary no a documentary excuse me an album about 15 years ago all about the life cycle of a pig yeah and so it was all kind of dance music orientated sampled from the pig's birth to his slaughter all the way through and uh, so he also uh, he's kind of well known for a uh, concept called the Brexit big band where I think it was about three or four years ago he put together artists from across the 27 EU countries to uh, as a kind of awakening kind of semi-protest art piece that he was uh, touring around at various music festivals and that so yeah he's quite a an interesting uh, left-to-field electronic producer, to say the least. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great film. It's very interesting. Check it out. Very good. Uh,
2: okay, so I would like to welcome Catherine Hart, the director of uh, Faithy Branco, which is one of the documentaries we're screening as part of the Docurol Festival. Hi, Catherine. How are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm good, thanks.
2: Very good. So, can you tell us a little bit? So, Faithy Branco, I guess, give, give us a bit of a background about the film. Um,
1: yeah, so it came about, um, it's a very long story. The film's <laughs> not long, the story's long. Um, I was studying, I did a Master's in Visual Anthropology in Manchester and then I decided to do my fieldwork in Serbia at a Romani music school. Right, okay. So I had found out about it through a dance teacher I had in Cork, so right. it goes back even further. Um, and I'd always been interested in gypsy music, Middle Eastern, Balkan, Anything kind of like on the frigid mode, like, yeah, like those rhythms I was very interested in as well. And then I wanted to study how Roma teach music to non-Roma, like if there's anything that they can teach which was outside of music, like body language, charisma, feeling in music, things like that. Okay. Um, So then it took a completely different turn when I met Faith. (laughs) I obviously did my dissertation and everything, and I, I went back the following year to make a film about the school. And then... Faith was one of the students there learning accordion. Okay. Um, Branco was one of the violin teachers. And I could see that something was brewing between them. They were using Google Translate to communicate. They really wanted to, to get to know each other. Yeah. They played amazing music together whenever they improvised. There was just something special going on. Yeah. Um, and then faith would go to Branco's village and spend time with his family and play music there and I would follow with my camera okay
2: so when did you when did you realize I think there's there's actually there's a film here at what point did you realize
1: I to be what it took a long time I would say I just followed them by instinct I I I was interested I wanted to know what would happen next right so in a way in hindsight that is a good story (laughs) but I didn't really realize it I couldn't see where it would go how to pitch the narrative you know yeah um but i um i think at some point i just realized it was a love story like i tried to do something more political at one point about visas because he had a lot of trouble getting a visa for the uk but then it just didn't work they're just really really good characters and it's a love story and a story about music and an artistic relationship as well
2: okay um, shall we play a track uh, I, I think the track's called Bumbar yeah uh, to give our listeners a, a taste of um, a taste of uh, fa- Faithy Branco. From Faith Ibranco. So I'm joined here by Catherine Hart, the director of Faith Ibranco documentary that's showing as part of the Documentary Festival this year, uh, to talk about about her film. So the, the film is it's quite an intimate portrayal, or a seemingly intimate portrayal of the lives of these two characters. So we, we meet them initially, and they're performing together uh, as part of a, a kind of a, a Roma gypsy music school, and but then obviously it starts to blossom into into a love affair and. Uh, It seems to be, you know, it's a very intimate uh, film, it it, it seems. How did you kind of foster that uh, kind of intimacy with them? And they seem to behave really normally on camera, which is kind of, you know, um, you don't often see that in documentaries. People are, um, you know, a a persona of themselves. They don't react normally on on camera. But that doesn't seem to be the case here. So how did you kind of go about kind of fostering that um, kind of normalcy in in the film?
1: I think it's it's probably more of a case of I, I pro I wouldn't have made a film about them if I didn't feel that connection. So we just had this chemistry together, like the same sense of humour, same level of openness with each other. Um, and I think all a lot of my friendships are like that and then if I was working for I don't know, T V, BBC or something, I wouldn't be able to do something like that because it's a lot more boundaried, you have schedules, you have to tell people when you're gonna show up and whereas with them it was organic. It was a friendship that evolved at the same time as the film was happening. So they didn't know me as a person without a camera. Um okay. so I think that helped. Um but as well as that I would say they're they are special people. I think Faith is probably the most authentic person I know. She she she's not afraid to be honest. She just says it as it is and I think you like you do see a performative side to both of them as well. But they both are really Interested to understand their own relationship and they're o- okay with other people judging them. And that's really special. You don't get that often.
2: Yeah, I just to say, like, they, 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 other people judging them, they don't worry about that. I thought it was really interesting that when F- Faith is living living uh, with Branko and his family and his extended family, there's quite pointed kind of criticisms of her as she's not a good wife because she doesn't clean and, and doesn't cook and so I, I find that really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, I d- yeah, and she obviously wouldn't have seen those that footage till the film was made, but she she was very aware of it because <laughs> Franco's aunt, yeah. you know, she can just uh, yeah fly off the handle and say crazy things, and you know, but but they ha- she has that relationship with her, and she's really close to her at other times, and you know, she supports the family, she provides for them, she you know pays their bills, she does so much for them, but still she's not, not a typical Serbian. Roma housewife, you yeah. know, like it's true that she she's not always cooking and cleaning or whatever, but she's playing accordion. She's you know in in that village, it's usually not always, but usually men who play music and earn money. But Faith does all of the roles, you know, everything falls on her really. Yeah, yeah.
2: So it's kind of a, a fish a fish out of water kind of story, really, because when we first meet the two characters, they're 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 living in in Serbia, but then. You know, they they end up moving to the UK. So suddenly, it's Branko, It's the fish out of water. Can you tell us about that and the adjustment? So and what happened when when they moved over to the UK?
1: Yeah, I would say when they moved first, there was Branco was quite excited about certain things. We actually went around Soho, went to some gay bars. <laughs> and he, he was really excited, like to see this other life. Um, but he also found certain things difficult you know um not being able to speak the language and faith was really craving her own people so sometimes they they worked at a circus and she had friends at that circus and she would want to go after the performance and have a drink with them so that raised issues and he was a little bit jealous and he doesn't like they don't drink alcohol in his community much or at least he doesn't um so there were all sorts of issues around that and, and i think if he spoke English it might have been easier for him and he does speak more English now he speaks a little bit so I think that helped but at the beginning he was really lost yeah and he, he missed his family he and he to just really struggled like, yeah got the impression. calling home sometimes or like looking at Serbian music videos and yeah kind of in his own world really
2: so, there are some really interesting characters in the film. So, um, I think there's his, it's Branko's grandmother, I think. And uh, she is really, I, the impression that what I wrote down was foul mouthed <laughs> and really, really funny uh, character. So, and I, then he, as part of the, for the family as well was his aunt. And she really didn't want him to leave. Uh, yeah. That was the impression you got. And not alone when he left, he came back two years later. She was still complaining about ha- him having left her. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, the family ties or are, are the family bonds are very, very strong, uh, clearly, in the in the community.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think especially with Branko, because his... So he was raised by his aunt and grandmother who were in the film. Um, his mom left when he was quite young. And uh, I think his aunt had turned down marriage to raise him, so she okay. really like, they have this like symbiotic relationship and she's very protective of him and really didn't want him to leave Serbia at all and thought he'd be, be- much better off staying in Serbia that he might get killed in England, she said <laughs> that at one point, like, what do you think England's like you know uh,
2: I, I, I found I think with the, the music I kind of feel there's a shared DNA between kind of Irish traditional music and and, and this the Roman music it's kind of like very mournful, and then explodes into life, and is quite joyous. and Do, do you think, or do, do you feel, do you know, did you feel that connection or that similarity yourself? Yeah, a little that?
1: bit, a little bit. Like the the culture of it, or the you know, in, in Irish music, the sessions that people have and families playing music together. Um, and I felt that that was similar to the way they improvise and hang out with each other, the informal nature of it. But also, yeah, the you know, going from very mournful, um, yeah. But there's a lot of emotion in their music, yeah. So, so I suppose there, there is definitely some kind of correlation there, yeah.
2: And I, I, personally, I, I felt it, it's you very rarely see kind of depictions of of the Roma community on in kind of modern modern you know culture and TV and, and and certainly music here. Um, it it was I thought quite refreshing to see that depicted, and I don't think it was romanticized. It was kind of quite as it is so how, how did you find as, as an Irish person uh, you know li- living there and being amongst that community
1: um, they were really accepting actually um, I you know everyone made me feel welcome sometimes it was, the only strange thing that happened was they would always try to set me up with teenagers <laughs> so I had an arranged marriage meeting which I went along with for the laugh but then I realised that it was serious, serious they right. really really wanted to marry me off um, but no in general they were really welcoming I didn't have any issues I wasn't as embedded as Faith was though so I think it was there were more difficult moments for her yeah. so I would just go for two weeks at a time a few times a year so like maybe three times a year so it's not as much as some people had the impression I was there a lot longer or you know living as I I had told you earlier living in their wardrobe
2: yeah I mean, there, there is one scene I uh, kind of doubt to spoil too much of the film because obviously we want people to go and see it and really enjoy it but um, there, there is one scene where they, they wake up on their wedding morning so they've got married uh, and they're being serenaded by a toothless old man, and obviously you're there with the camera instead. Uh, how, did, <laughs> how did that happen? Were you feeling a bit uncomfortable being there first thing in the morning?
1: Well, yeah, that was that was weird. To be honest, I don't know if it was their wedding morning. It might have been, you know, but it could have been any other day because this sort of thing happened a lot. So I, they had a two room cottage. So not even like two bedrooms, just two rooms and I would sleep in the kitchen on a sofa and they were in the other room and then at seven in the morning I heard knocking on the window and this like man shouting and then I just grabbed my camera and and ran, like went and started filming and this is Branko's uncle Milo who just showed up, walks into their room and picks up a guitar and starts playing and then he like (laughs) shouts at Faith, come on, get up, make me a coffee, like what are you doing?
2: It's like I'm sleeping. Yeah, but <laughs> I this was is formally sleeping.
1: typical and I think that did start to bother Faith because coming from England where you have so much privacy and people don't even usually I mean, maybe it's different in the countryside, but you don't tend to just call over to someone. You yeah. you have to call and tell them, Oh, I'm I'm gonna come at this time, is that okay? And in in Serbia, they'll just the doors are open. People walk in whenever they feel like it.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, it's quite similar in Ireland as well too. When growing up, the door was open and people would just call in. My my, my wife is English and she just can't can't kind of accommodate this at all. People will come to your house unannounced. <laughs> Why would they do that? That's so uncivilised. like well, it's just friendly, you know. Um, so. You must have got quite close to, to the protagonist over the course of the of the it's like it's over a period of seven years right yeah right? the filming
1: yeah, it's seven years of footage, but I did film for another year that we didn't end up using oh, right. any of the scenes from that year, um, maybe one um, but I've known them since two thousand and eleven so yeah, we're still friends, you know they live they go between Serbia and the u k so I see them I, I sometimes go there and I see them in London. See. And
2: um, I guess like the film is, is a love story, and um, I guess as all great love stories, you know, there's there's an element of you know um, an element of tragedy in there too. So I I won't say too much about what happened at the end, but how are Faith and Branko now?
1: Yeah, they're good. I mean, they're, it's an, a never-ending story. I could make so many series about them, actually, <laughs> and they would like that. But yeah, I have to have my own life at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's they're really good, though. They're still performing. Um, the pandemic, obviously, they couldn't do much, but now they're they have some gigs coming up around the UK and uh, festivals next summer yeah. So and yeah and there's doing a really well.
2: good montage where they're kind of playing in a, in a in a pub somewhere i think in oxford and then suddenly it's like cut to festivals and they play festival in glastonbury and places like that so it's quite meteoric kind of uh, a, a kind of rise that's got really nicely kind of montage together um okay so i think we're going to have another another track from faith of branco and i cannot pronounce this track it <laughs> is
1: oh my god is it I, I don't know if I can. I can't read it from here. <laughs> Checaucci Stribora, something like one. that. <laughs> That's the
2: one. That's the one.